Hello, and welcome to another edition of the podcast, Teaching with Mr. Gago. I'm Mr. Gago, and I'm your host today. Um, today, I'd like to talk a little bit about ed tech revolution. We're in the midst of something totally unprecedented in education, as well as the world, with this coronavirus. And last week, I posted a picture on my social media account uh, on Instagram of me getting ready to make video lessons for my students. Um, so what I would have is I showed a picture of my screens as well as my microphone because I was also doing podcasting. And I was preparing to contact them via Zoom. Um, since we went on quarantine on March 18th, this is what kind of my daily routine has been, setting up video lessons, working with students on Zoom for those that need it or for those who just want to hang out. And, you know, just doing that day by day, at least trying to give them some sense of normalcy. Uh, also for myself, because I'm so used to working that sitting at home and not working the, the way that I've been used to has been different. Um, transitioning to digital education hasn't been necessarily as difficult for me as I know as it has been for other teachers. Um, it's definitely a switch. Um, didn't I didn't find it very daunting, but I know that there have been a lot of other teachers that I've talked to who are very worried about how much students are going to learn, what can we do, what can we actually provide, what can students actually do on their own. So this is really, you know, a, a difficult situation that we've been placed in. Um, as part of that post, one of my former students, and he was also one of my basketball players, he commented on the picture, um, and he made this comment. Uh, a part of me feels like this education tech revolution is long overdue. I had to think about that for a second. What does that mean it's long overdue? Historically, educational technology has always been behind commercial technology, uh, partly because of cost and adaptation. You know, districts and schools don't necessarily have the funds to find the newest technology. They find what is affordable, what is necessary, and what could be used based upon uh, what they have available to them. Um, but it also struck me, if I thought about this, if we had the coronavirus, say, five years ago, could I have done what I'm doing right now? Could I be creating digital lessons? It's possible, but the technology, while it was there, was really hard to get a hold of or to use in such a way that students would be able to access it. And that's the other part, access. How many of my students now have access to Google Classroom are used to using it? They've grown up with it. Five years ago, it was still pretty new. I believe that there were probably some people that were using it, but not as many as they are now. Could we have done the same crazy, you know, switch to digital education as we have in the last couple weeks? Could we have done it five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Thinking, you know, 20, 25 years ago when I was a student and we had to go on a quarantine, could we actually make this work to where I would still be learning? I'd be communicating with my teachers. I, I think we're finally got to a, a situation where we're actually able to do something about this, where maybe five, 10 years ago, we couldn't. Um, I think five years ago, we didn't even have consistent internet service at our school sites at times. And I can't imagine what kind of internet service students had at home. Five years ago, you know, we're talking 2015, you know, maybe iPhone five or six. What did that mean? Did they have FaceTime back then? Could they have done this type of large scale video conferencing from our homes in such a way that we could reach the students and teach them? I have a feeling we wouldn't have been able to do it five years ago, much less 10 or 20 years ago. So we have reached a point 
in educational technology where we've crossed a threshold. Um, having the technology, using the technology, needing technology, this is more of a reality in our daily lives than we were 10 years ago. I see that education, we have adopted so much technology that because of this, let's try it out, let's work on it, let's see what works for us. I feel that educators now are better at adopting new things, especially technologically wise, than they were before. For myself, yeah, I have a master's degree in educational technology. So for me, this is not that hard. This to me is fun in some instances because I'm used to using it. But I know that there are educators who have tried to stay away from technology as long as they could in their careers. And now they're pushed into doing something that they are not comfortable with. You also have students who are so used to using technology, but mostly in a social media or social aspect, that now that they are forced to use it in an educational format. So there's a big shift in uh, what's happening in education as we speak. And we're only talking, I mean, we went on quarantine March 18th, and today is March 29th. I mean, we're not even talking 14 days, two full weeks out from being in the classroom where I was teaching and talking to students in person. But yet, here we are. We're doing stuff digitally. I'm meeting with students on Zoom. They're turning stuff in on Google Classroom. They're completing assignments. They're communicating with me and with their other teachers. And other teachers are adopting a lot of this technology that before they might not have, but are now pushed to do that. I wonder what this revolution, and it's not the revolution in a typical sense, what does this mean for the future? What does this mean for the future of education? Are we going to find that more teachers are going to have to do stuff online? Are we going to find that more students are going to prefer an online format? We know that the timetable for this pandemic, we just don't know the end of it. We don't know if we're going to return back to normal in May, in June, this year, next year. We don't know. And I think how educators have taken this and they know that we had to do something and they were willing to make that change for a lot of reasons. It has been beneficial. Students have embraced this. I am so proud of all my students who are embracing this, that are working on it. They're communicating with me. In fact, before this podcast, I was answering a few emails from students. They were telling me where they were on the packet that we were able to give them before they left, but they're communicating with me digitally, electronically, in a way that they didn't do that before this happened. They'd wait to come to class and come talk to me. But now they are in that technology. They're immersing themselves in it. They realize if they don't, they could be left behind. Teachers are also realizing this. If they don't adapt, they could be left behind. Lesson planning is totally different now as compared to when you would have people in your classroom. The use of manipulatives, uh, especially in mathematics, which is my field, it's tougher to do it online, but it's not impossible. There are so many websites and programs that are available for us to show students math in a real context now than ever before. And I think that we have a new change. And I, in, as my student put it, a revolution. We've been waiting for technology to do things a little bit differently. The old lecture and sage from the stage where I just impart all of my information to the students, it's different now. I can do that. I can create a 
one hour lecture that basically spurts out all of my information that I have in my brain about mathematics or about a specific topic. But is that the best way that we want to approach it? Or are there different ways that I can do it where they can still get that information? Maybe I don't give them everything, but I give them enough to where they can now search and use this technology. Students using the technology academically. I have found that a lot of my students understand how to use technology very well. If you ask them to put a filter on a Snapchat, they know exactly what to do. But they've really struggled on how to use Google and how to use technology academically, and now they're forced to do that. We look at all the, the colleges that are now on, doing online learning. Some used to do just basic classics uh, classes on online learning, and that was it. You know, I remember taking an online class. I enjoyed it because it was at my own pace. I worked as hard as I wanted to, but now everybody's doing it. So everybody's had to adapt, and now students are now having to adapt in a way that may prove to be the most beneficial for them for the future. Um, ed educators, I am just so amazed on how much we have been able to do in such a short amount of time. Through this time of uncertainty, there's a revolution in education. Are we going to go back to doing some of the things that we did before? Are we going to be going more digital? Are our students going to be coming back the same way? Or are we going to have more digital students, more students that are working from home, whether it's because they are sick or whether or not they because they're more comfortable that way? What's going to happen? It's a big question mark that we have right now. I mean, it's bad enough that we're thinking about just getting back to normal, getting back to watching sports, going outside, meeting with people. But how is education going to change? And are we as educators ready to make that change? That's going to be the biggest question going forward. Can we make that change and can we make it lasting and help our students as they're going to be navigating a dramatically changing workforce when they get out there. I think of my seniors and I think of my daughter in particular getting ready to graduate. All of a sudden this happens. We have 20, 30% maybe possibly unemployed. You know, jobs are going to be scarce, especially for the summertime, getting ready for college. You also have during college, we don't know what that's going to look like. And the jobs that will be left after everything's all said and done and we get back to normal, what will they be in how much adaptation will our students need to be able to have in order to be successful now? This could be the biggest thing for our students, for them to be successful, because now they're forced to actually think about technology in a different way that they never did before. You know, instead of a social, instead of pleasure, instead of looking for what they want, now they got to see, okay, where is it going to get me now? Because the jobs that used to be there may not ever come back. The jobs that are for the future may be all technologically based. And that might be something that students are now going to be able to see in front of their eyes and make those adaptations. We all know that teenagers and students are very adaptable to situations. And they've adapted remarkable during this. I am so proud of all of my students. They have done an, an awesome job of doing what they've needed to do in the face of problems like this. Now I hope that they take that and they use it for their future because now it is even more imperative that they understand technology, they understand their education, and how far it will get them because we don't know what the new normal is going to look like. Now I know that's kind of a downer, but let's look at maybe a, a funny story. The student, the student that I was talking about 
he was funny. He's a funny kid. Uh, I loved having him in class, loved having him as a basketball player, but he's one of the funny ones. He's always crazy, always doing something, and one of the best moments I remember, maybe he doesn't like it as fondly as I do, but we were playing basketball in an open gym. You know, we're running full court games. We're doing this at seven o'clock in the morning after we worked out in the gym or in the weight room. And all of a sudden he goes up for a layup and he gets a cramp in both legs and he falls down to the ground and and he's laughing and almost crying at the same time. So that's why it was very funny. You could see that his calf muscles were pulsing, but you could just see, you know, he was like laughing because he couldn't believe the situation. How did you get a cramp in both legs? And we were all kind of laughing. We realized, okay, we've worked hard enough. We don't want anybody else to get more cramps. But it was a funny story from from this kid. You know, he just he's always talking. He's always joking around. And then all of a sudden he goes up and he gets a cramp in both legs. It was the funniest thing to watch. You know, obviously I wanted to make sure he was okay. We were all standing around, you know, as we were trying to stretch him out. But it was just he was laughing and he was hurting. But he was... He was having a good time because we were all there in there together and we all recognized that we cared about him. But at the same time, his jokes came back to, to bite him. So one one funny story from uh, some of the times that I've had. I will continue to bring funny stories as we go through it. After 20 years, I've got a lot of stories and hopefully you'll enjoy them. And if you have any of your own, hey, shoot me a line. Let me know what kind of funny stories you have. What kind of tips do you have for students as they go through education that might be listening to this, and even as an adult, what, what kind of funny stories did you have? What kind of amazing stories? Did you have a teacher that really influenced you to, to where you are today? Uh, I would love to hear those things. I'd love to share those things. So feel free to subscribe to this, leave a comment, and let me know what you think.